Yeah, Cardinal Seahawks Sunday at State Farm Stadium. Second time in four weeks those teams will get together. Seahawks won the first matchup. Here to talk about the Seahawks, a team, uh, a writer who covers them for the Tacoma News Tribune, uh, Greg Bell, their beat writer, joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Well, good morning. Uh, the last time these teams got together, uh, we viewed it here in Arizona, Greg, as an opportunity for a struggling Cardinals offense to get right against a bad Seattle defense. The exact opposite happened. Uh, the struggling Seattle defense got right against the Cardinals, and they've been a different team. Can, can you just talk about the changes you've seen defensively from the Seahawks in this stretch? Well, you were right. They were the worst defense in the league coming into that game. They were the worst run defense. They were giving up almost 200 yards a game. They were just coming off a New Orleans game where Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill each had 100 yards. The Niners steamrolled them. They went to a 3-4 up here in Seattle this year. They changed from Pete Carroll's longtime 4-3. And in September, the 3-4, the run fits were poor. They, they weren't. It's more of a gap control defense. And the defensive linemen and linebackers were not controlling or getting to assign gaps. That Arizona game was the game that they decided to be more aggressive up front. Less read and react. Shelby Harris and Puna Ford and Brian Monet and Al Woods, the defensive line, Quentin Jefferson became much more of attacking, just beat the guy over him and go find the ball. And that has worked for them. And it's less read and reacting and the run sets are not as big a deal if you're beating your blocker and destroying the run's blocking scheme as soon as the snap. And that's really what happened in starting in the Arizona game. Now, the Cardinals, of course, are down to their four-string running back. Emma Benjamin was the lead back that day. And they got nothing from their running backs. Mm-hmm. And they ended up being Kyler Murray just scrambling around getting 100 yards. At least half of those were on scramble plays off of pass plays. I thought the Cardinals hurt themselves in Kingsbury the keeping Kyler Murray in the pocket on those fourth downs when the Cardinals didn't have a kicker healthy and they weren't kicking field goals and they got to the red zone. They got stopped on four fourth downs and on three of them they just left Murray ten yards deep in the pocket. Mm-hmm and the pocket collapsed on him because the Seahawks knew they had to throw. That, to me, was the key of the first game. The, the, the Cardinals, because they could not run the ball for an obvious passing situation, turned the ball way more than Seattle faced defensively. We got a third and short up until that game, and that made the Cardinals one-dimensional, and Murray got sacked five times and only scored nine points. I, even with still the running back, injury issues that the Cardinals have. I think DeAndre Hopkins coming back <laughs> means they're going to score more than nine points. <laughs> We'd hope. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about that. Alright, it's funny because the day that Russell Wilson was traded, um, yeah, I heard from people in Seattle who said it was one of those days that people who live in Seattle will never ever forget where they were the moment that whole thing happened. And, and there were a lot of people questioning the sanity of, of putting this rebuild in the hand of a 70-year-old man. What does it feel like now that that narrative has been flipped on its ear, how the Seahawks have become a Cinderella story, how this has kind of been affirmation of Pete Carroll's status as a heavyweight coach, and more importantly, what kind of swagger does this team have because of all of that? Well, the feeling around the area, and not necessarily inside the building, is one of vindication, in that we're right after all, and Seattle did it right, and everyone else was wrong, but even Seattle and Seahawks fans thought the Seahawks were crazy for what they were doing, and they expected a couple years of a complete rebuild. The Seahawks planned guys when they traded Wilson, and it became apparent to them that they weren't going to want to pay him $50 million a year, going rate. 2023 when his contract was ending and he made it clear that he was wanting to go somewhere else 
in picking Denver. The plan was, okay, we'll get these draft picks from the Broncos. We're going to have four picks in the first two rounds next year and a draft 2023 that has all kinds of NFL living quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and on and on. So the Seahawks' plan was to come out with a quarterback by the end of the 2023 draft. And in the meantime, we'll have Drew Locke battle with Dino Smith, and each of them are on one-year contracts. And whoever wins that will be the placeholder until they get their quarterback in the future in the next spring's draft. And Smith obviously has changed that. And if he can keep this up, it's only eight games. But at this rate, he's commanding a new multi-year deal from Seattle. And he'll go from $1.2 million in base salary and $3 million, including incentives, to $20-something million or more a year. Maybe a two- or three-year deal. So Pete Carroll was right in this instance of he was the last man in not only the building but in the region and in the Pacific Northwest that wanted to trade Russell Wilson. It was only when... The Broncos offered them everything they did, including three players and four top picks. That Carroll started to say, "Okay, I think we could do this." And <laughs> he heard that once he saw that Russell Wilson telling him he may not be around much anyway. That's why they made the deal. But it's even beyond his expectations for how Geno Smith has played. He picked Smith over a lot, guys, because he didn't want a gunslinger, risk taker quarterback. He wanted someone who didn't turn the ball over. And he's gotten far more than a guy that doesn't turn the ball over. Yeah. He's got a guy who leads the league in completion percent. He's third in passer rating. He's throwing the ball down the field. After a couple games of just dink and dunk, they've opened it up. He's got 2,000 yards passing. So, yeah, the quarterback wow. play. The defense's revival is one thing, but Geno Smith playing so far above his career average. I mean, this guy was on the bench for seven years of four teams before this. <laughs> yeah, it makes it even more amazing. Greg Bell from the Tacoma News Tribune, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. It, uh, um, you know, there's different ways you can spearhead a rebuild. Uh, one of those ways is through the draft, and we were talking about it earlier. John Schneider's recent draft, this most recent draft class, you find two starters on the offensive line, two starters in your secondary, a dynamic running back, an edge rusher. I mean, in the first five rounds, they've added five impact rookies. That class, Greg, how big, uh, how instrumental has it been in this Seahawks turnaround? Well, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing, guys, because they had so many needs and so many opportunities for young guys to play that... And for the first time in 12 years, they drafted to need. This team has drafted all kinds of projects and basketball players and college <laughs> defensive linemen and turning them into linebackers, offensive linemen, and uh, LJ Collier, no one had to be in a first round pick. Malik McDowell, who never even played a game in the league, was a top pick for them. Rashad Penny, who a lot of people didn't think was a first round pick, became one for them. They went against the grain for so many years. And they also had a, a Hall of Fame draft class in 2011-12, those years with Daryl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson and Cam Chancellor in the fifth round, and Richard Sherman was a fifth-round pick. But they, the law of averages caught up with them in the draft. You can hit them like that all the time. And they went for about six years that they were really dry, but at the top of the draft is where it hurt most of all. This year, because of the trade with Denver, they had a top-ten pick for the first time since 2010. And Charles Cross was picked ninth overall, and you pick a left tackle at ninth, he's going to play. He's a guy you think can be your everyday guy for years, and that's what happened. They had their highest pick in 12 years. They used it on a linchpin left tackle, 
and he's been all that in a bag of chips since the very first practice of minicamp. Yeah. The surprise of that is on the right side, Abe Lucas, third-round pick from Washington State, he's been a starter since day one because he's just as fast and as big. They have outside tackles now that can get outside the edge rushers, are strong enough and fast enough to get outside after years of having Brandon Shell and Jermaine Effetti and a 36-year-old Dwayne Brown and could not keep up with outside edge rushers. Well, now they can't. Those two rookie tackles might be the unsung MVPs of this team because it's allowed Geno Smith time to throw and step up into a well-formed pocket. It's allowed Kenneth Walker, another one of those rookies that they needed and drafted in the second round because Chris Carson was going to have to retire because of a neck surgery. It's given him run lanes because of the tackles. And then Carroll just went all in on the rookie corners. He and only he decided that Tariq Woolen, first of all, that he wanted to draft him because he never saw a 6'4 guy run a 4-2-6-40. (laughs) And he saw Richard Sermon. He saw a former college wide receiver converted a couple years ago to corner with long 32-plus-inch arms and tall, rangy guy. He's made him Richard Sherman. He's even brought Richard Sherman in to teach and coach him in the summer. And from the first preseason game, guys, he said, Tariq's Woolen, my guy. And now... Teams don't even throw to Tariq Warren. It's like Richard Sherman 2013. Yeah. They they just shut down that side. The Giants only threw it at his side twice and not until the fourth quarter. Kobe Bryant, nickel guy, never played nickel before. Carroll made him a nickel back. And uh, everything they've done in the secondary for the rookies has turned to gold, and Carroll has, has hit on those guys. Yeah. Greg, great stuff. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and give us, giving us some insight on the Seahawks. We appreciate it.